T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. This week, the field of candidates running to unseat incumbent Cook County State's Attorney Kim Fox grew by one. Former alderman and former candidate for mayor and county board chairman candidate Bob Fioretti launched his campaign. That now makes it a four-way Democratic primary. But this weekend, we're going to spend time with Fox's first primary challenger, Bill Conway. Hello, I'm political editor Craig Delamore, and this is At Issue. Conway's a native Chicagoan who got his law degree from Georgetown and came back to become an assistant state's attorney. He worked for Anita Alvarez, the woman that incumbent Democrat Kim Fox ousted. He says he's running because of how the office is being run now. Bill Conway remains active in the U.S. Naval Reserve, and he's an adjunct professor of finance at DePaul University's business school. We're going to talk with him about the law, crime, politics, and maybe even a little finance. Bill Conway, welcome. Thanks for having me, Craig. Appreciate it. Well, I thank you for being here. The field wasn't this crowded when you uh, first uh, got in, uh, but what made you get into this race? Well, Craig, you know, I didn't really like the direction that 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 office was going. And what we need to do in the Cook County State's Attorney's Office is we really need to focus our criminal justice reform efforts and really get after the gun crime epidemic that we have here in Chicago and also really get politics out of the State's Attorney's Office. So I was actually in that office from 2006 to 2012. So I was essentially there for uh, for Dick Devine's last term and then Alvarez's Alvarez's first while I was there. Mm. And now you're not a uh, well-known name or politically connected. You haven't run before. Uh, what do you feel would catch on with the public? Well, I think what the last few elections have shown is that here in in Chicago and here in Cook County, people are looking for a fresh new perspective on how do we can get after the uh, the criminal justice reform efforts that we're that we're trying to do here um, how tough is it to raise money uh, when you're in a democratic primary against an incumbent who is backed by the party well it uh, you know actually has been has been not too bad I'm, I'm fortunate that we have gotten uh, we've gotten donations from all over from all over Cook County as well. And, and certainly uh, my family's been generous in putting significant resources into the race as well. Um, what? Tell me about what you thought of the way the office was run before Kim Fox got the job. I mean, she and Anita Alvarez are very different people. Well, that's really it, is that we really need to focus our criminal justice reform efforts. I mean... We shouldn't be putting people in, in jail who are, who are there because they're poor or addicted or mentally ill. And in the past, we were doing too much of that. Uh, but that said, you know, if somebody commits a violent crime or a crime with a gun, they should go to jail. And the efforts on, on both sides of that have been unfocused in the past. And I think we need to remember that as our North Star when we think about how the prosecutor's office should be run here in Cook County. But Kim Fox came into office talking about the kind of 
criminal justice reform that you uh, are are uh, espousing right now. Uh, and some would argue that some of the heat that she's gotten from the Chicago Police Union and others is because she has been focused on that, trying to keep fewer people behind bars just because they can't afford bail. Well, that's a good thing. We don't want to be putting people in jail because they're poor. That is that is uh, that's something we don't want to be doing. But at the end of the, at the end of August, we had 142 people in Cook County Jail who could be who can be bonded out for less than $500. And we spend $150, $160 a night housing these folks. So that doesn't make any sense. Oh, well, let me ask you, and, and, and feel free to expand on any of these answers. No, no, no. By all, by all, yeah, by all means. By all means. <laughs> Let's talk about the, the issue of, uh, of, of bond, because yeah. it has been a, a, a flashpoint, not just in, in campaigns, but mm-hmm. I mean, it's been something that's been a problem uh, all along. Yeah. What is your feeling about cash bond? Is it in and of itself a problem? Well, when I think about jail, you know, jail is a place for people that are a danger to the community. As I said, not, not a place for people that are poor, addicted, or mentally ill. And so we need to really keep that as our North Star. And what we don't want to be doing is we don't want to be criminalizing, criminalizing poverty. So to the extent that we can get away from that, that's, what, that's where we need to be going. That's where we need to be going as a, uh, as a criminal justice system. Um, but do you feel that even attaching a dollar value is something that brings about problems in and of itself. I mean, for example, as you say, people who can't afford $100 stay behind bars. Some people walk in, you know, people who are accused of drug crimes sometimes can go in their pockets and come up with a couple thousand. Yeah. No, it's, it's, if we could, I would like to get rid of, of cash bond. But the, the problem is, is that, the way the statutes are written in other places right now is that that would require us to release a lot of folks that are a danger to the community back on the streets for nothing. And we can't do that either. So as we continue to go towards getting rid of cash bond, we're going to have to change some other things as well. Well, let's talk about what's wrong that is allowing people to get out when Mm -hmm. perhaps they should be kept in. And again, some of the proposals say, if you're a danger, there should be no bond. It shouldn't be high bond. Uh, and what is and that's going where, And wrong? that's where I'm at, Craig. Oh. Yeah. Somebody commits, a, somebody commits a violent crime or somebody commits a gun crime, I think they should stay in jail. And I think they should not be able to bond out. And that's where I'm at on that. And I'm certainly not shy about that. But then where do you draw the line or how do you draw the line between someone who you, you have somebody who was caught with a gun, shouldn't have a gun, doesn't have a Floyd card, mm-hmm. but it might be because they're afraid in their neighborhood. How do you draw a distinction between those people and then the people who are always carrying guns and looking for trouble? Well, I am, I am sympathetic to that, but I, I also think that we just have, there are too many people that are carrying illegal guns out, out on the streets. And as a result of that, when I look at that from, from a, from a uh, 30,000 foot view, if somebody is carrying an illegal gun, I think they need to go to jail. And when somebody is thinking about carrying a legal gun, they need to know that the punishment for doing that is swift and it's certain. And that's really what, uh, what we have to be focused on. But if we're going to get after the gun crime epidemic that we have here, 
here in Chicago, we have to really begin to get after the supply chain that brings all these illegal guns here here into into Chicago and here into Cook County. Now, would you say, though, that the state's attorney's office is where the effort to get guns off the street, the trafficking part of it, should be done, or should that more fall to the feds who seem to have more resources for that kind of thing? Well, I'll tell you where, you know, where we're at now, Craig. So right now, when somebody is arrested for possessing an illegal gun, they probably bought that gun from their friend. That friend probably bought out of the back of a trunk of a car that had seven or ten guns in it. Those probably came from a house that has 30 to 40 guns in it. And those probably came from a, a truck that's brought here that has 150 or 200 guns in it and a lot of straw buyers and things. And the problem is that we keep picking off at the local level the person for gun possession. And at the federal level, if the truck or the house falls in their lap, they will, they will uh, you know, go after that. But we don't have people that are trying to work that supply chain in between. And I have friends in the Chicago Police Department and the state's attorney's office and the FBI and the U.S. attorney's office, and they will all say that. And, but if we're going to do it at the, at the Cook County state's attorney's office, we have two grand juries, and we can begin to work our way up that supply chain. And if once we get to the house and the turns out the truck came from out of state, we will have to go to our federal partners and say, hey, we have worked this up for you to go after that. And they've shown a willingness to do that. I know a month or two ago, they prosecuted somebody in Minnesota who was a, a consistent straw buyer for bringing, for bringing guns here into, into Chicago. And if we have to turn those, turn those uh, cases over to them at that point, that's fine. But we also have a lot of guns that come here from locally as well. And so to the extent that we're disrupting that supply chain, that's a good thing. In fact, you know, you mentioned I was a uh, Navy intelligence officer, still am one in the reserves. And I was deployed to Qatar and Afghanistan from, from uh, July of 2017 until April of 2018. And after hearing um, what I'd done at the state's attorney's office, the job they gave me was figuring out where does the Taliban get its money from so that we could identify those sources so they couldn't buy weapons to attack us. And we had to work a lot of various intelligence sources in order to figure that out. And, you know, it's some of that, that style of thinking of using real intelligence as, as a way to get after that supply chain so we can get after the gun crime epidemic that we have here in Chicago. Uh, aren't some of the existing task force arrangements among county, state, uh, and, and uh, local law enforcement, are they doing well enough at this point, I mean, are, isn't that a vehicle for that, the kind of partnership? Well, we have to do, frankly, we have to do a lot more on that. I mean, in, in Los Angeles this year, they've had 232 murders. In New York, 298 murders. And here, here in Chicago through November 24th, we've had 452 murders, despite the fact that we are a much smaller city. And, but if we're going to get after that, we have to really devote a lot more resources to getting after the supply chain that brings all these guns here. And to do that at the, at the state's attorney's office, like I said, we have two grand juries, so we can use those investigatory pieces to, to aid in those efforts. But part of the problem is if we're going to get after this gun crime epidemic, we have to get after it on the demand side and the supply side. And when we look at the demand side, if we have 
somebody who was picked up for a gun crime over the weekend, who's back on the street Monday afternoon, they're not incentivized to, to help in the investigatory efforts. And similarly, if we're not getting after gun trafficking, the supply of guns will continue here into, here into Chicago. And we have to be able to get after that on both sides. Let me ask uh, one of the direct questions uh, involved in this campaign. And what is it that you believe Kimberly Fox has done wrong? Uh, and, and is it mostly mm-hmm. uh, encapsulated in the uh, now infamous Jussie Smollett case? Yeah. Yeah, no, no. So, I mean, we only got half an hour, right? But, <laughs> but, but the, you know, the ones I would really focus on is really hasn't hasn't really started to get after the root causes of gun crime here in Chicago and also has brought politics into the state's attorney's office. Those are really the big two that have been a failure of this administration. Um, I'm assuming that uh, the Jesse Smollett case is one of those things, or, or, or is it? You know, that certainly fits into fits into the politics, but that, that is merely a, uh, you know, merely a small part of it. What we've seen at the federal level is consistent uh, drumbeat of political corruption prosecution. And yet at the state's attorney's office, we just have not seen anything. And the size of that unit has been cut in half, the public corruption unit under, under Ms. Fox's tenure. And I'll tell you, you know, if, if elected, when elected Cook County state's attorney's office, Cook County State's Attorney, uh, you know, there I will not owe anything to anybody except the voters of Cook County, and we will begin to really get after the public corruption that we have just tolerated as Chicagoans here for way too long. Um, I don't think we can avoid talking about Jussie Smollett, and this is uh, the uh, actor from the TV series Empire who uh, claimed to have been a, a victim of a hate crime, and... There's a lot of suspicion and some evidence that that was fabricated. Um, Kim Fox says she didn't handle that case well. Her commercial, campaign commercial says that, and her office is changing its procedures. Why is that not enough? Well, we still don't know why when a politically connected person reached out that a Hollywood celebrity got a better deal than other people get. So, Craig, I represent a, a, a young woman who is charged with uh, who is charged with filing a false police report, and she is uh, you know doesn't know anybody. She's not politically connected, and the the facts of her case are not nearly as egregious of that of that of uh, Mr. Smollett. And yet, we go to court every month. I was in court with her yesterday. In fact, she has to visit a probation officer every month. She has to pay restitution. She has to maintain a job. If she doesn't, she has to do community service. She's got to work on getting her GED. If she wants to leave Cook County, we have to go get permission of a judge. And that's not right, that, that there's a, a different set of justice for somebody who's not, who's not connected. Uh, the phone call from that connected person, and uh, we should identify that as uh, the former Michelle Obama chief of staff, Tina Chen, who actually has been a guest on the show yeah. some time ago, uh, uh, who, who knows the Smollett family. Um, Kim Fox says that call came at a time when everyone thought Jussie Smollett was a victim, that he, the suspicion about his story hadn't really come to fore, and she gets calls from victims' families all the time and should and would talk to them in that circumstance. Was that still a, a, an, a, an error? Well, clearly we have that a Hollywood celebrity got a better deal than other people got. And 
it's not just the two-tier criminal justice system issue. It's also the integrity issue. I mean, Miss Fox changed her story at least half a dozen times about why why she did what she did. And even now, when when she said in her campaign ad that she owns this, but then asked when her office was asked, well, what changes have you made? They couldn't identify any changes. Mm-hmm. And additionally, uh, you know, we have to talk about the incompetence issue too, in the sense that how does she not know that when you recuse yourself, that you recuse your office? And it's and it's really those things that uh, you know that are um, concerning, to say the least. You're listening to WBBM News Radio's Ad Issue. I'm political editor Craig Delamore, and we're talking with Bill Conway, a Democratic candidate for Cook County State's Attorney. Uh, let me ask one more question about no, this no, no, case no, no, before no, we no. get on yeah, to some no, no. other things. Sure. Uh, and that is, what would you have done if you had been in that seat and that case came, unfolded the way it did? Well, that's also, you know, an issue, too. You know, I, I fear that based upon how that case was hap- was handled, as we peel back the onion on the 35,000-plus felonies and the 220,000-ish misdemeanors that are handled every year, not to mention the 30,000 civil cases where the office will will represent us uh, in, in, this, in civil matters, how many times that connected people have gotten better treatment than other, other people? And I will tell you, as Cook County State's Attorney, people that are politically connected or celebrities, how, how someone looks or their gender or what zip code they're from or who they know will not change how their case is, their case is handled. Um, I do want to touch on the uh, issue of violence, because it's something that really has come up mm-hmm. from uh, some sh- suburban sheriffs and others uh, who complain that uh, that Kim Fox, in their view, coddles uh, shoplifters, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's and her campaign notes that during the time period when actually you were in the office as well, the top prosecution in the office was retail theft that that was the number one. And I suspect that no one listening to this program, unless they're store owners, would believe that the top problem in Chicago and in, in, in the Cook County area is retail theft. Was that, was that a skewing of priorities? And is it wrong to say we ought to be do, dealing with fewer prosecutions for retail theft and more with gun violence? Well... Let me first say where I'm at on retail theft. You know, there's kind of, when I look at retail theft, there's really two types. You have people in need stealing items of need. You have mothers stealing baby formula and, and uh, pe- people stealing items of need. But what we also see a lot is, is that we've got to see more, it seems, is organized retail crime. And we need to be able to handle organized retail crime at the felony level. And... So because of that, I don't draw a distinction based on a dollar amount when it comes to how we're going to handle retail theft. It's something that we have to look at the case and look at our discretion. And organized retail crime should be treated differently than your one-off when your one-off retail theft. But I will also say in terms of the resources, you know, we have uh, certainly, um, you know, hardworking state's attorneys who have big caseloads, but most of, the re- most of the resources in these cases are handled on the law enforcement, on the police side, as opposed to on the prosecutorial side. Now, I don't anticipate some big increase in felony retail theft prosecution, but when I'm thinking about it, we're thinking about organized retail crime from one side and one-off retail theft, one-off retail theft from another. And we certainly plan 
to focus our resources on getting after the gun crime epidemic that we have here in Chicago and here in Cook County. A little talk about the relations between the office and the police. Anita Alvarez was accused of backing Chicago cops maybe too often, uh, including allegedly bad cops. You've suggested that Kim Fox isn't going after violent criminals enough. Uh, again, where do, you, where do you stand and how the office should relate to police officers on the street? So when I was, when I was in that office, and I had, a, I had a great experience in that office. I, you know, I focused on public corruption and financial crimes uh, and really made a name for myself in cases where I had to deliberately follow money. Um, but then also had the opportunity, I worked in misdemeanors, I worked in traffic, had to work bond court sometimes, handled some violent crime. And so through that time, I had the opportunity to work with thousands of law-abiding, good police officers who would go above and beyond to, to figure out the perpetrator of a case, uh, who would be willing to stay up late to cry with victims. And I'm not shy about the fact that I will be on the same side as, as law-abiding police officers. But that said, when I was in that office, I also prosecuted three Chicago police officers. And not something that, uh, you know, that, you know, you don't want to prosecute anybody, frankly. But it wasn't something that, you know, really, really wanted to do. But the fact of the matter is, these were not law-abiding police officers. And we had to do that. And I'll tell you, I had the, the first one I did was a um, case involving a, a gen, an older gentleman with dementia had wandered into the house next door to his. And he said, uh, and he insisted that the, the house was his. And so those people called the police. Police officer comes. Police officer takes him back to his own home next door and befriended this old man. And over time began to put all his assets, uh, put all the old man's assets into his name. And just an awful, a awful case. And I remember when, when we had that case and uh, people said to me, more senior prosecutors said to me, look, Bill, you prosecute the police, they'll never work with you again. And I said, heck, if we're not, if we're not prosecuting this, what are, we even, what are we even doing here? Mm-hmm. So prosecuted and convicted him. And I'll tell you what, I had a lot of police officers come up to me and say, hey, really appreciate you prosecuting him because he was giving us all a bad name and he was really a piece of crap, but they would use a different word than that. <laughs> so, so, you know, so it's, uh, I will not, uh, I will be on the side of law-abiding police officers, and I will not be afraid to hold, uh, to hold police officers who break the law accountable. And uh, I, uh, let me, let me please, quickly yeah. just ask you, what, uh, how do you feel about police officers who might lie to protect each other? when one does wrong it's not exactly violating the law but it's unethical yeah no i i um obviously that's a problem but i think it's a problem that is that is lessening and i say that just because we have seen instances more recently where police officers were willing to testify against against other police officers uh you know and there's and there is um certainly in in um in every area, you know, there are, there are bad apples in every group. There's bad prosecutors. There's probably a few bad journalists out there. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe some. <laughs> you know, and certainly, uh, you know, certainly bad state's attorneys. <laughs> but, you know, it's, and that is something that, uh, you know, in any of those aspects, you kind of can't have a, a code of silence to cover up for bad behavior. It's just not right. Uh, I want to turn a little bit to the pure politics of, uh, of this race. Mm-hmm. And that is especially... 
since the field seems to be growing, and I'm not even honestly dealing with the Republican primary yet. Uh, we'll get to them in coming weeks. But uh, but four candidates uh, running, that doesn't that feel like that fracture the votes of people who might criticize Kim Fox? I mean, isn't some could argue that this widening field is helping Kim Fox. Yeah, I'm not I'm not concerned about the other candidates and here's why. I mean, over the last few elections, voters have said we want a fresh face and a fresh new perspective on on uh, in in office. And I bring that and I'm confident we get our message out regarding focusing our criminal justice reform efforts, getting after the gun crime epidemic and getting politics out of that office. I'm confident we get that message out, we win the election. But Donna Moore, who uh, who was here a few weeks ago, uh, could claim a record, in not the military part of it, but could claim a record similar to yours, being in that that office and doing a job. Why? And she came very close last time. Uh, well, she was third, but she but she could have been she could have been second. <laughs> but the, the the question is, she's I mean, she's run again. She's more more familiar. Why? Or should you be considered more than someone with someone with her experience? So I was, you know, I like I said, I was in that office from 2006 to 12, and uh, you know, focused on. I had a very holistic experience in that office. Uh, got to handle very, very various different types of cases. Also, as a as a Navy veteran, I think that gives me a bit of a unique perspective on that. In the in my mission there, like I said, was getting after where the Taliban gets its money from, and in that in that job, had the opportunity to work across the various agencies of the federal government, working with the DIA and the, and the CIA and State Department, Treasury and the DEA and things. And I had that experience working with a lot of these other agencies and having that experience and bringing that to the state's attorney's offices is what we need there. Um, last thing I want to ask is, uh, what is the uh, experience of being a new father, which oh. I know you have just become? Uh, what does that bring to your to, to, to your work? You know, my my wife is uh, is is wonderful. She she knew for a while. I'd been talking about how frustrated I was with what was happening there, and I would be, so I'd be complaining. I'm like, look, there's all these people that are charged with murder that are on electronic monitoring now, and people don't realize that that's not really keeping folks that well. And so my wife heard me say this. I said, you know, I think I, I think I need to run for state's attorney. And then my wife told me she was pregnant. And she said, um, and I said to her, honey, if you don't want me to do this, you know, I, I won't do it. And she looked at me and said, Bill, now that I know we're going to be raising a child here, you have to run for state's attorney. Mm. And, and now here I am with a, with a baby who's a little over two weeks old and my wife has to get up every two or three hours for feedings, and she doesn't disturb me as much as uh, perhaps she could have. But I feel, but I often have to remind her. I said, "Honey, you remember that time we had the conversation <laughs> where you said you have to do this because we're raising a child here?" So my wife has been amazingly supportive, and and uh, and and uh, and my even my babe, my even my young baby has been supportive of, of our efforts too. So it's but it's been an incredible experience and nothing like it. Do you find yourself sometimes, you know, getting ready to go out onto the campaign trail and then thinking, you know what? It's more fun to stay here and play with my daughter. Yeah, no, it's it's it 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 is both motivating and uh and, and makes me want to do that. So my daughter after feeding she'll get she'll get the hiccups. And when she gets these hiccups, she sounds like a little squeaky toy. And it's, it's the cutest thing ever. And, and 
whenever I'm, uh, you know, getting, uh, trying to figure something out or frustrated about something, I'll, my wife will send me a little video of, of, of our daughter with the hiccups and, and sounding like a little squeaky toy. And it just brightens, brightens my day and mood every, every time. And we're going to make sure that she gets to hear that story when she's older. Uh, (laughs) But anyway, thank you very much. Uh, That is state's attorney candidate Bill Conway. Thanks for spending this time with us. Thanks Uh, for having me, Craig. Absolutely. uh, To our listeners, if you would like a copy of this program or just to hear it again, please visit our website. That's WBBMNewsRadio.com. You'll also find our podcasts on Radio.com. I will be back next week with another edition of that issue, and I hope you'll be listening. Until then... I'm Craig Delamore, News Radio 780 and 105.9 FM. We really need new phones. T Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month without a pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. See T-Mobile.com.